You are listening to the Grace Church Podcast. To learn more about grace, including our gathering times, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Tommy Jones. All right, so my name's Tommy. I'm the pastor here. If you got your Bible, go ahead and go ahead and grab it and open it up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, if you will. Uh, this is where we're going to sort of camp out for today. And I, I, like, I like Thessalonians. I love this study. I love what we're doing. But Paul just packs so much stuff into one chapter. He's like, when you first start out preaching, you want to pack 172 points into a sermon. Uh, because you've just got so much to say. And, you know, that's kind of what Paul's doing. This is the first letter he wrote, and he's making sure that he says everything possible in this letter. And so there is a lot, but we're going to try to really kind of zoom in on a couple of really important things. And one of the things we're going to see today is some of the things that early church thought were really important no longer feel that important to us. For whatever reason, some of the things they focused on, they talked a lot about Christ coming back. And this is something that I think we've lost, and so I'm hoping that today, uh, through this message and through the Word, that God opens our hearts uh, to reveal to us the importance of this understanding that the Master is coming back, we should be ready. And so let, let's just jump in, First Thessalonians chapter 5, if you don't have it, it'll be on the screen. It says this, Now as to the periods and times, brothers and sisters, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord is coming just like a thief in the night. Okay, so what's going on here is the the people in Thessalonians have written a a note to Paul or sent word to Paul, or they're asking Timothy, hey, we want to know when this day of the Lord is coming. We want to know when. We want to know when. And so Paul's like, hey, guys, don't worry about that. Like, you're focused on the wrong thing. But first, before we get to all that, what is the day of the Lord they're talking about? Especially in the, in the heap, those people who, who, you know, Paul was a Jew, and so people who had come up amongst Hebrews, they had this, this thought about the day of the Lord. Now, you and I believe, and Christians, we believe that, that Christ was the Messiah and that he has come, but we still believe there's a day of the Lord coming when Christ comes back again. And so l- let's just talk about that for just a second, because I want to maybe reshape the way we think about that. But when they're talking about the day of the Lord, they're talking about the day when when Christ comes back and he reclaims all of creation. Remember, guys, the end game is not that we're all somewhere else. The end game is that Christ reclaims earth and and, and now we're back in creation that was designed to be. But I think when we think about this day of the Lord, we often think of Jesus like coming down from somewhere far off like an astronaut coming to earth. Like, if you weren't to be overly spiritual and I was to say, hey, where, where's Jesus? Where, where, where might we say? Up there, right? He's up there. Some of you are like, he is? No, like, like way up there. And I think maybe when we're kids and maybe even, you know, different, but like some of us think if I had a rocket ship, I could possibly get to where Jesus is. Matter of fact, there's a story in the Bible where they built a tower, right? And so I think we think maybe we could get to where Jesus is. And so when we think about this day of the Lord, we think of Jesus descending down from way, you know, thousands of miles up in the air, coming down to be with us. I want to reshape that for just a second. Perhaps instead of thinking of heaven as some far off space, just think of heaven as God's space. Okay, let's start. Heaven is God's space. And instead of thinking of Christ as a million miles away from us, believe that he is right beside you. Matter of fact, the Bible says where two or more are gathered... I am with you. And so, so God is with us. He is present. In this moment, Christ is with us right here. And so we are with Christ. 
But I think on the day of the Lord, instead of thinking about him coming back, let's use a word that Paul uses over and over, and that word is appearing. So think about it like this. Christ is with us right now. But on the day of the Lord, he will remove the scales from our eyes. The veil will be torn, and we will see him as he really is. Don't don't think he's not a a million miles away coming, but one day he's beside you today. But one day he's going to reveal himself in fullness to you, and you will see his full glory. You're going to be like, where were you? And he's going to be like, I was right there beside you. I've been here the whole time. But now I want to show you. I want to show you the glory of who I am. And on the day of the Lord, he's not coming from a million miles. He's revealing himself as king of the universe. And we will see in full what we only now see in part. And so let's think of that as as the day of the Lord, the day when Christ fully reveals himself. But Because I think that's how they would have thought about it in, in the early church. But every time they would talk about the day of the Lord, they would always say, when? When? When's he coming? When? 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 We want to know when. We want to know when. And Paul would over and over say, guys, you're asking the wrong question. And we're going to see that today. The question is not when is he coming. The question is, in light of the fact that we know he's coming, how should I live today? The question is not, is he, you know, when is he coming late? The question is, in, we believe he is. And so in light of that belief, how should I live today? And that belief, that mindset affected every single part of life in the early church. Somewhere along the lines, that part of our faith has sort of slipped away. And so then then Paul starts with a warning in verse, I think it's verse 3. He said, while they are saying peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them like labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Man, what a vivid image, like labor pains on a pregnant woman. Guys, if anybody can relate to that, it's me because I have seen, I was there when my wife gave birth. (laughs) Hold on. I was in the room when Christy gave birth, and it caused me great pain. So, like, I think Paul's talking to me right here. Like, like, <laughs> this, is, this is a pretty vivid thing, though, right? And so when he says they, we need to catch this. When he says they, he's no longer talking to the Thessalonians. When he says they, he's talking to those people who have rejected Jesus, okay? And so this is a part of our faith that we don't like. I, I don't think you shouldn't like it. This is a part of our faith that maybe we're a little embarrassed about. This is a part of our faith we back up from. Because the story of the Bible seems to be that God has revealed himself to all, everybody. God is revealing himself. Even through creation, God is revealing himself. And for those people who will accept the offer of Jesus Christ, we will have this eternity with him in some sort of amazing way. But for those who reject him, there will be an eternal separation from him. And we don't like this. And this is why we try to back out of this. But let me tell you this. We shouldn't like this. As a Christian, if you enjoy doctrine like that, man, you are getting Christianity twisted up. And I've heard on you know, Facebook and online, like pastors are like, oh, no, y'all are going to hell or whatever. And they seem to like enjoy it. Let me tell you that. If you enjoy that, you have missed the bus on what Jesus came to do. This should break our heart. We should struggle with this. Like, people tell me all the time, man, I love Jesus, but I struggle with the whole hell thing. You should struggle with it. Because this is hard stuff if you love people. And so there should be some struggle in this as we try to understand what, what God is saying through, through these words. Verse 4. But you, brothers and sisters, 
So now he switched back to talking to the Thessalonians. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then let's not sleep as others do, but let's be alert and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who are drunk, they get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let's be sober, having put on a breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Okay. So now, now, now he's talking to, to us again. He's talking to Christians. And he says, listen, for us, we're not living in darkness. So there, there's a day when, when Christ is coming, this day of the Lord. And when that happens, we shouldn't be surprised. Like we should be living in anticipation of this moment. Like we should be living ready for this moment. So that when he comes back again, for us, this is not like a scary, horrible thing. Y'all, I remember, maybe some of you didn't remember this too. When we went through the very beginnings of the pandemic, was that 2019, 2020, whatever in there? And all these like Christians started posting on Facebook, like, well, this is a sign of the end of the world, and like this is the mark of the beast, and this is the mark of the beast, and the, the, apparently the beast has a whole lot of marks, right? And it's whatever. And there's all these different things that everyone was saying, and everything I was reading was based in fear. That is not our approach to the end of the world. And everything that needs to happen has happened. Christ is simply being patient. But like, we don't fear this. We're not, we're not out there trying to scare the hell out of everybody. That's not what we are called to do. We are called to live differently. Just as we approach our sex life different, our work, we approach the world different. And we approach the day different. And we anticipate a moment when Christ will fully reveal himself, but we do not live in fear. Verse 8, it says, but since we are of the day, let's be sober. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. There, there's three words in there that I'm about to hit on in verse 8. See if you can guess what they are. Can anyone guess the three words I'm about to hit on? Faith, love, and hope. Well, that pretty much sums up Christianity in a lot of ways, doesn't it? Faith, is, this is how we are to live in anticipation of the moment that is to come. We aren't to live in fear. We aren't to live with like vengeance, like one day y'all are all going to get yours. No, 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 no. Faith, hope, and love. Guys, here's a little interesting fact about me. I am not fun to watch a Razorback football game with. <laughs> At all. It's the primary reason I watch them by myself. Uh, it's because I don't want to hear from people. And, it, and let me, if you're texting me during the game, I don't like you. I just want you to know that. <laughs> just, let's just get that out there. Like I, I, matter of fact, this is how bad I am. I'm just sharing. Come on, family here. My brother, my brother Casey, my oldest brother, had a birthday party yesterday. I didn't go. <laughs> I didn't go. I, I, I didn't make up an excuse. I just, my response was, you know I'm not going to be there, and I'm sorry. <laughs> because the Razorbacks were playing. And my mom was like, we'll have the Razorbacks on. I was like, oh, that'll be fun with a bunch of people around. Like, that's my worst nightmare. But I, I, I don't want to talk to people. I don't like people. Last night, I almost threw a brick through my television. Like, it is so hard for me to stay holy in those moments, okay? But now imagine this. Imagine I followed, you know, imagine the Razorbacks were winning. And imagine that I knew we were going to win. I would watch the game very differently. If I knew we were going to win, if I'd already seen the result, then I would, oh, I would serve hors d'oeuvres, and I would love for you all to be with me, and, and we would talk, and I would be social, and I'd be kind, and I'd be positive. I'd be the opposite of everything I am right now. Because if I knew for sure what was going to happen at the end, 
the moment wouldn't get to me. You hear me on this? If I, if I believed with my whole heart, if I was certain that there was a day coming when there would be no sadness and no tears and, and no crying, and that all these crazy things I see in this world, that they'll one day be washed away, if I believed that that moment was coming, then I could survive any moment between that moment and this moment. If I believed, if I believed there was truly an island out there, boy, I'd swim forever. You with me? This is why it matters that we believe. And, and the point that God wants to make is, how do we live in this, you know, with faith, hope, and love? But what, what do we want to do? Win. No, no, win. And why do we ask when? Because when is easier than how. Asking when something's going to happen doesn't really cause me to order my life. As a matter of fact, when my parents used to go out of town, I had one question. And it wasn't, how do you want me to live while you're gone? The question was, what time are you coming home? I need to know exactly what time you're going to be home because then I know when to start moving things out of my life, right? Then I, then I know when to clean a little bit. Then I know when for this person to go, you know, blah, blah, blah. if I know when, imagine my parents had said, we're leaving. We may be back at any moment. <laughs> we're not far away, although you think we are. I, I would have probably done something different, <laughs> right? But why did I want to know when? Because I didn't want to do anything now. I didn't want to clean up my life today. I wanted to wait until the last moment so that I could do whatever I wanted to do until. Why doesn't Jesus tell us the when? Because he wants you to believe that it's now. He wants us to live with an urgency today. He wants us to love deeply today. He wants us to have faith today. He wants us to have hope today. He wants you to live in joy today. Not tomorrow, not when you're dead. He's not, he's, oh, God, I can't wait till I'm, you know, blah, blah. No, now, here, in this world, today, in this moment. This is why he doesn't tell us when. Because he wants to, us to live like it's now. Verse 7, for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who are drunk, get drunk at night. What's he talking about there? He's talking about, guys, see, see the world differently. This is saying, when he says those who sleep, he's saying you're awake. He's doing another contrast here. He's saying, quit compartmentalizing your life. Quit putting me in a Jesus bucket. And he says, you know, every, I want to be in every single part. I want you to think as a child of the day if you are a child of the day. And we should look different with the way we approach life. The problem that, that I see, and maybe I've experienced in my own life, and maybe you've experienced, the problem in this area is there's no difference between believers and non-believers. You can't just walk around and say, oh, that person believes Christ has come back again. That person doesn't. That person, because you can't tell, because we all live the same. But for this early churchman, they were so passionate about this, and they were talking about it at the potluck. And they were talking about it in their small group. And they were talking about it at dinner. When's the last time at one of your dinners you looked at your family, your friends, and you said, Hey, guys, you think today's the day he's coming back? Has that ever happened? Maybe we should talk about it more. The problem is, though, we want to talk about it in a way that's not weird. Like sometimes when a church decides they're going to talk about this a lot, it's really creepy, Right? And then they start telling you when Jesus is coming back again. And Christians follow it. 
You know, people start saying, he, he's, I've seen all the signs. He's coming back again. Guys, I'm, I'm going to tell you a little secret. The Bible says not even the son knows the day or the hour that the father is returning. So if you find someone else who does know, ask that person to tell Jesus. <laughs> Clue him in just so Jesus can be in the know. But if you're following somebody who knows when the day is coming and when Jesus is coming back, I want you to turn and go the other direction. Because you are following, um, you're following a squirrel. And it will only get squirrely. <laughs> That's what happens when you follow squirrels. But I, I, think, I think we're supposed to talk about this not in a way that's weird and not in a way that's scary and not in a way that's threatening, but with faith and hope and love. And, and we've we got to wrestle with that. We've got to figure out how to do that. Verse 9. And this is when Paul starts to get really practical. For God has not destined us to wrath. That's good. But for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. So that whether we're awake or asleep, and right there, asleep, he's talking about like the bodily asleep, remember, uh, the asleep of the body. So whether we're awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. But we ask you, brothers and sisters, to recognize those who diligently labor among you and are in leadership over you in the Lord. And they give you instruction and that you should regard them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. We urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the unruly. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. See that no one repays another one with evil, but always seek to do what's good for all people. Okay, he's just being super practical here. And one thing he says in verse 12, he says, uh, those who are in leadership over you and give you instruction. Guys, I, I want to say this in a way that that's hope, like it's not everybody's job to read the Bible and tell you what it means, okay? It, it's not everyone's job to read the Bible and determine right and wrong. You have teachers and pastors, and that, that's their job, is to, is to interpret under, under a church and under other people, not pulling theology out of the air, okay? Not, not sitting under an apple tree one day and going, oh, I now believe all these things. But it's not everyone's job to do that. And so if you're just following people on Facebook who are saying, hey, this is right and this is wrong based on the Bible, question where they're coming from because that's not everybody's job. It's everyone's job to read the Bible for personal growth and for change, but it's not everyone's job to explain it to you. And so be careful who you're listening to. And then he just starts talking about how to deal with people. He says, man, with people who are unruly, admonish them. Gosh, that's like the hardest thing to do, isn't it? To admonish unruly people, um, especially to their face. Admonishing unruly people behind their back is easy. But you know why it's hard to un admonish an unruly person to their face? Because they're unruly. It's difficult. And so that's why we live inside of community. This is why we're connected. So that people who know us and love us can sit us down and say, hey, you're acting like a fool right now. you got to redirect. We need that. And he says, he says encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient. And so it's like this thing that we do when we gather together, the purpose of this is to encourage one another and build each other up and to love each other. I want you to hear that the purpose of this gathering is to encourage one another and build each other up and love one another and be connected inside of community. And you cannot do that if you come here every week and never make any attempt to know anybody. The only way this one another thing works is if you have a one another to one another. You can't be the other that you came to one another or there is no other. Did y'all write that down? Did anybody write that down? I wish I would have written it down because I couldn't say it twice if I wanted to. But like there must be a one another. 
It's the way this thing is designed to work. And so we come here and we stay in our little pods. This is, this is human nature. We all do this. We come here and we stay in our little pods and we get what we need. What about the other people in the room? The, you guys over there, you got any idea what they're going through? You guys, you guys, you got any idea what they're going through? You can't if you don't walk across the room and get to know each other. This is what we exist to do. And people come in and out every week and they're going through horrible things and they get missed because you think it's someone else's job to one another the others that are in this place. It's our job. Own that. That's what excellence looks like. It is your job to one another the others that God has brought into this place. And so we have to look up. Verse 16. This is so great. Rejoice always. What, what, What about always? What about last night around seven? Always. Right? That's what he's saying. Rejoice always. And then he says, pray without ceasing. Let me just, maybe you've experienced this. Have any of you guys ever felt bad because you didn't pray in your prayer space long enough? Just raise your hand if you've ever felt that. Me too. You know how many times I felt guilty because I didn't stay in my prayer closet long enough or whatever? Then I realized one day, God isn't locked in my prayer closet. I should certainly go there to meet him. But I think pray without ceasing doesn't mean stay in the closet all day. I think it means walk with God all day. Like talk to him and pray with him. And I say, so it just means pray without ceasing all day long. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God. That's a big statement, isn't it? Y'all remember last week he said it's God's will that you would be, there's a word, you don't remember it? Sanctified, good job. It's God's will that you would be sanctified. Now he's saying it's God's will that you would give thanks in everything. Are we living lives of gratitude? If you, if you were to do a, I would, I would love for us all to do this, and then maybe we'll all share next week or something, but that's probably not a good idea, but maybe I'll share. But like, but like if we would all just keep a, a track of how much of our language throughout the week is thanksgiving versus complaining. How much of our language is uplifting, encouraging versus demeaning and, and complaining and griping and lamenting. And there is a time and a place for sorrow and sadness, but the baseline of our life is joy. Not give thanks for everything, because there are terrible things that happen in this world that we're not thankful for, but we are thankful in everything. That's the difference. In all seasons, I am thankful. It says, don't don't quench the spirit, guys. Do not utterly reject prophecy. That means listen, but examine everything. Hold firmly to what is good and abstain from evil. Of this. It's like rejoice. Guys, joy is not something um, that we're working on. Joy is something that we're living in. Now, listen to this. This this is where I'm going to conclude today. Verse 23. This is crazy, guys. Now may the God of peace himself. There's that word again. Y'all see that word? Y'all remember what that word means? It means to make you holy, to make you righteous, to make you clean, to make you pure, uh, to make you Christ-like. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. Wow. May God, I I don't don't think he's talking about when you're dead right here. May God make you and I completely holy. Do you believe that's possible? Or have we all settled for, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I cuss a lot? Or whatever. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but. 
Yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm not perfect. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm not Jesus. That, and I've said every one of those things I just said, I've said. That is the coward's approach to Christianity, not the courageous. The courageous approach to Christianity is make me holy. Burn me righteous. Make me clean. I will not settle for the things in my life that I know you hate. I will not settle for the things in my life that are no or separate. No, I, I want to be made in completely, completely holy. God, I want, to, I want to love you. I want to be like you. When I, when I walk in the room, I want, to, I want it to feel as if the Spirit of God has entered the room. I will not settle for anything other than what you've promised me, which is sanctifying me and making me holy. We hide behind the excuse of his love to avoid pursuing a life of holiness and righteousness. And yet this is what he's promised for us. He has the ability to completely sanctify us so that when he comes, so that when the master comes, his servants are prepared. Do you believe that is possible for you? Do we even spend any time thinking about this? Or have we found a comfortable place in our Christianity where we can set up camp and not really move any further? To sanctify us completely. Faithful is he who calls you and he will do it. Verse 25. Now may the God of peace sanctify you entirely. Where are you with Jesus today? Matter of fact, you, go, you guys go ahead and shut your eyes for a second. Let's, let's, just, let's just get honest right now before the king. Ben, you guys can come on up whenever you want to. Where, where are you right now? Are you seeking people out to encourage? What's going on in your life? I think maybe, maybe a question I often have to ask myself is, what has become my God? What am I so focused and fixated on that I've, I haven't even asked the question, is today the day? When the Master returns, who will He think I'm serving? What has come between me and you? Why can't I take that next step? Why can't I turn? Why can't I fight? What's between us, Jesus? Do I desire to be fully sanctified or am I worried about what I would lose? Do I trust him? Am I willing to give thanks in all things? The master's coming back. How will he find his servants? Will he find us ready? If you are encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. And again, thanks for listening to the Grace Church Podcast.